Hey guys, welcome to another episode of How the Art World Works. This week's music was brought to us by Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra. You can check him out on Spotify, Pandora, and the internet at large. Thanks, Sean. You can catch up on any episodes you might have missed or view the supplemental material at our website, artworldpodcast.com. And while you're there, please consider donating to our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar, you can help us offset the costs of research and production of this podcast and allow us the flexibility to make more episodes. And we would really appreciate it. Join a community of other Art World amigos and check it out. Again, artworldpodcast.com. And finally, if you like what we do, please help us get the word out by rating, reviewing, subscribing, talking about, and sharing this podcast however you can. Thank you. This week's guest is the talented and fabulous Anne Bray, who was able to join us live in studio on a warm, sunny Los Angeles afternoon. Take it away, Karen. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is Karen Atkinson, and we have Megan Flanders, and today's guest is Anne Bray. Oh, boy. <laughs> or girl, as my current so this is says. How the Art World Works. And Anne's going to tell us a little bit about her perspective um, and introduce herself first and what she's been doing. So take it away, oh, Anne. Yeah. So I, I do approach this from the point of view of the combination of a nonprofit director who does the wildest things I can think of and an artist that wants to do even wilder things and how to actually combine those two and really with a goal of taking very rich content and reaching as broad a public as possible. And I think of one hand, the art world is this enormous space, but also that the resistance to alternative art is pretty strong in this country. That if yes. you've lived in other countries that actually like art, like I went to one show where there were four people deep waiting to see each painting. And I was like, uh, this is not America. And they were looking at the work. When I and they were waiting <laughs> Actually, in line to see each painting. <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh, the, our practical Puritan history does not feed this country's idea for culture very positively. So, yeah, it's deep-seated. It's, you know, it's not going to change fast. The other hand, I, I feel like uh, because... I've lived in Los Angeles most of my life, that it's, uh, I've really got to live in a culture that is open, that's willing, that's visual, that will deal with new ideas. So how to take the new idea, but I hate art, and combine the two is that intersection that I've always been curious about. Um, so I, I run a nonprofit, Free Waves, or LA Free Waves, formally, uh, former, formally, um, uh, since 89, and before then it was four years at least. Mm -hmm. And 
have been doing. And what did you do at Lace? I was a video coordinator there. And so that really brought about forming a festival and getting everyone in Los Angeles involved that I possibly could. And we use public access uh, TV stations and nonprofit spaces and public spaces all over the city. And then uh, I really come from the idea of public art and uh, with media and public art, that combination has produces particular intersections so video billboards and uh, fcc rules yeah exactly (laughs) and um the internet as soon as that came up we jumped in there fast and um you know, we tried to work with television, so KCT and um, PBS, uh, et cetera. Bob Ross is our little token mascot. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So right now, I'm working on a feminist series that's a combination of video and postcards, and I'm taking them to venues all over L.A. County, and I wear a, a smock with 10 clear pockets on the front of it. And I uh, offer people whichever postcard they like the most uh, if they'll answer the question on the back of it. What kind of questions are there? They're uh, related to each postcard. The image is on the front side, and that's how they base their choice. And then on the back side is something related to the image. Uh, A lot of them are gender-based questions, like who decided your gender? Um, And uh, next I'm trying to take those answers and make them into the next piece. Is that decided, or are you deciding how it goes based on the answers? I am really trying to get so many answers, like 1,500, so I have enough data to actually do some overview, right? right? And then I, I do I want to make the next piece interactive so you can keep playing with it as an audience member? or And is it online? Or this engagement has been really personal so one by one or I also have been doing some bigger audiences Um, but I want to do a gender promenade next summer at the State Historic Park and I want to get a lot of people together that have never been together and deal with gender in a public way but alternative way so again that intersection of Mm -hmm. how far can we go in public right well uh, can you talk a little bit about why you started LA freeways I the race question is Mm -hmm. a big part of it Um, so I was working at lace artists from all over the city that were interested in video art were coming to it None of them knew each other. Everyone was coming from a different neighborhood. Downtown uh, in the 80s was considered neutral territory. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was really cheap place to live at that time. And um, they offered all these video, Lace offered all these video services that people really needed at that time because the uh, equipment was expensive to get access to. So I was trying to help sort of the whole field and meeting people from all over. That video seemed a medium that was you could copy and move it around way more easily than uh, still work. And there were systems that were supposedly in place to allow free speech in this country and county. So I was supposedly, the, yes, <laughs> the VHS era. And yes. <laughs> so we tried to really make use of that combination and put out a lot of alternative perspectives together and to work thematically. So the issue could be uh, home, but we could have a black, Latino, Asian, and white, Native American perspective together and mm -hmm. really see the intersections and the disparities and uh, cross these lines of that had that a lot of art organizations at that time were divided ethnically. And um, LACE was trying to be an intersection point, and um, it just needed a lot more effort. The people needed to put time and energy to cross those lines, and it wasn't so easy at that time. People didn't know each other. They mm -hmm. lived uh, uh, far apart. They... People were afraid of each other's neighborhoods from unfamiliarity. So, um, which the earthquake brought down. Which earthquake? <laughs> so the 92 earth, or 94, 94 or earthquake. Northridge? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what it did is it broke the freeway, and mm -hmm. so everyone had to drive through South Central, <laughs> and that was the beginning of integration. It was discovering <laughs> new neighborhoods. Right. Were I could drive up. down Adams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Only in the daylight. <laughs> so the other thing that's so interesting is when you started L.A. Freewaves, there were so many artists working in video but like you said, it was hard to get to equipment, but also it was hard to show. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, spaces or particular video, you know, centric programs in L.A. So I think Lace was one of the first people to start something that was really consistent. Mm -hmm. Like you could go see video in a show or something like that. But to have something where you knew that there was a video that was showing in the space at all times or different sort of you know festivals or things that you could go to yeah. and that changed a lot in LA but you had a huge impact yeah. on video in Los Angeles and now I feel like it's pervasive it and, is pervasive and that I don't have to cover that right gig any longer right. um, that the internet and galleries and museums right. etc have integrated and to me each new art form it goes through that performance art had the same, same problem. Thing, right. And, you know, I, I, to me, there's a new one, which is now this interactive is to me the 
what is the form of that and how do we support it and the all the institutions don't know what to do with it right and there aren't grants for it there aren't categories there aren't juries for it um there we don't reward that you know it, it's uh, so mm -hmm. it's a very consistent pattern of something new is arriving mm -hmm. uh what do we do with and it? and the only way you get money is by who you know uh you can have the coolest, most abstract idea in the world, but know nobody, and you're never going to get your project off the ground. It's all about inclusion in the community and, like, you know, going to the openings and showing up and having that social network to help foster this new community you're trying to make. I, I agree that the art world is based on knowing people and it, that openings is the regular pattern for meeting them. The other is that so many people do make their work home alone. Mm -hmm. And that has been the pattern. And I, as, you know, I think that f works very well for introverts. I think it's really a problem for extroverts. If you're a people person, it's, <laughs> it's really kind of a drag. drag. <laughs> it doesn't really work. So yeah. I have been of the extroverted lineage and trying to figure out how do you make art and be out and about all, a lot. You know, um, yeah, I do go home and work like every <laughs> other human being. Uh, but uh, I also really like to engage people as audiences, as makers, as producers, mm -hmm. like uh, publicists, uh, you know, storytellers, etc., of how to get the work out to a broad public, which I feel like is still very difficult in this culture. Mm -hmm. And that they, like public art is still a very, you know, nice uh, system. Friendly packaged, yeah, wonderful right. public art that no one gets offended by, yeah. that went through several committees and has no authenticity or creativity left. It's just some abstract metal thing cool right and <laughs> you know people are moving a little beyond that mm -hmm. i'd say now i feel like the current solution is the idea of temporary projects and i really support that uh, we're both champions of that and have done that for a long time so yeah. and i i think you can actually say much more when it's temporary you can get away with a lot more you know people and aren't going to sort of freak out that they have to see it for the rest of their lives or rip it down when it's no longer uh, politically apropos. Right. So how about we do have a question for... Well, one of the things I think is interesting is that when you say... Hi, I'm Megan. I always have questions. <laughs> Don't open that floodgate. Mm -hmm. um, so what was interesting is that when you started LA Free Waves and really supported video artists and video artists were trying to figure out how to get equipment and because it was much more expensive then. Um, and this is, you know, you didn't have necessarily computers to do all this work. And I remember that um, it was so interesting because I started a, a program at Side Street Projects to, and I got 10 projectors donated. And so a lot of people who work with you would come to us <laughs> because you couldn't, like, you might be able to make the video, but you couldn't project it or show it because they were hugely expensive at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so we, there was a lot of symbiosis, I think, between yeah, yeah. those two organizations in terms of we were both doing kind of public art kind of projects, very temporary kind of things. You know, you actually showed in some of them. 
Um, but it was an interesting time because that was something where a lot of artists were trying to think um, outside the gallery for almost the first time. Yeah. And of course, there was ne there's never enough galleries for artists, and that's not the way a lot of artists are thinking these days. And But it was a fascinating time to sort of introduce ways for artists to get the work out in a lot of different ways. So all those festivals that you did and showing work and all the nonprofits all across the county of LA and doing things even in public um, was I think was really exciting for artists also at that time. Uh -huh. But it opened up a whole new avenue of ways to uh -huh. think about being an artist, which I think was really beneficial in LA. Uh -huh. So which does go to um, one, I still work with Side Street. Uh, mm -hmm. We just did, uh, what is Side Street Projects? Uh, <laughs> it's a cool org in Pasadena that uh, offers artists assistance and services and puts out uh, public art projects in Pasadena. And uh, they have an open call right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, with For the, the anchors thing, the temporary public art exhibition. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so it, then that'd be a great way for somebody to start. And mm -hmm. you'd have a nonprofit that would help you through the process. And, you'd, uh, and it's temporary and there's a budget and it's very defined. And yet it's still open as to what you could do with the parameters they're setting. So sidestreetprojects.org mm -hmm. yeah, is the website. Actually, it's sidestreet.org. Okay. Um, and, but what, to me, what I felt like I was coming here today to really talk about is uh, for younger artists to totally get into what they want to do and not listen to what they think is the going wisdom for how they should do it. Um, to yeah. me, I, I've always wanted to do this, you know, public engagement over difficult content. And nobody would tell you to do that as a career. It's true. <laughs> it's like you're doing what? Uh, oh, we're no, no, we don't do that for public art. It's like, oh, we can't do that. I'm sorry. When your family gives you the polite smiles, like, how are you? Yes. They it's don't holiday. even polite smile me anymore. <laughs> Now they're like, yeah. what? <laughs> I don't recommend that. Good job, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Do you want to starve to death? <laughs> well, maybe Fashionable. we can talk a little bit more about that. Because you just did a huge project with them. And the with Side Street, of, yeah. You know, and, you know, this. maybe you could talk about that project and, the, and how you actually went about doing that. All right. So there is an open call at Side Street right now that I highly recommend for people that are interested in working in public to try it out. Uh, use their, they have parameters to the project. There's a budget. They'll help you facilitate. So if you're not used to public art, it'd be a good way to start. Great introduction. Um, that I worked with Side Street last year on a really different scale of the project. They got an Our Town grant from the NEA. The city matched it. Uh, they chose 12 different artist projects. It was higher budgeted. That we were the big freeways was a big winner. And 
the, um, the city therefore had to support us. Um, but I really wanted to go to this tough question, I thought, and an interesting, and I was open uh, to the answers, which is why did they put lions on City Hall? It's a 1920s building, you know. Uh, um, this is some Huell Hauser shit. Oh my god, I love you so much right now. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's a um, what would what do you call it? Um, not Beaux Arts, but it's uh, a style of architecture that was oh, pop it. popular at that time. Uh, it was the same architects that did San Francisco uh, City Hall. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, famous. Uh, but it is very formal, beautiful, s- sort of Spanish-based. Uh, um, so it had the central courtyard and... Um, and it had 150 lions on it. Uh, in uh, cast stone, and there there are only five different styles, so I would call it facial expressions, (laughs) (laughs) and they're up at a pretty high level, and but they're everywhere in the building, and no one had noticed them, and I was, why would a democratic building? in Southern California uh-huh. in 1920, choose lions. And to me, uh, democracy needs a welcoming <laughs> face. <laughs> and lions refer to power, uh, royalty, mm-hmm. which is a monarchy, we're a democracy. Uh, it has an aggression to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, power was the main image. So those four represent to me the opposite of democracy. Um, and I wanted to see what does, does the public notice that? Or what is a, what's your feeling about government? You know, I mean, it was right during the year when we voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were definitely some negative feelings <laughs> about government. Yeah. Uh, so why do we have negative feelings about government? Oh, well, they have lions on their buildings. Uh, so how many people got these ideas? And to me, it was like obvious that there was at least a disconnect. Um, The city saw no problem. The historians saw no problem. The contemporary uh, political people saw a big problem. So what was the in-between place? So we ended up interviewing, surveying people with about 10 different pairs of adjectives that could apl- potentially apply to the lions. Such as? Uh, ag- aggressive or sort of stately. Mm. Uh, African or American. Alert or asleep. <laughs> <laughs> you can picture the lions now with just those three sets of right. adjectives. And people 
you know, really had their opinions on <laughs> these lions once I pointed them out. Mm -hmm. And then we put a sound, this eight track sound installation of lion sounds in the courtyard. We did um, drum circles on various Saturday afternoons. We had the drum the high school drum line come and perform and launch it. And then we had the CalArts Hands Ensemble, who's very high-end musicians, do the finale. And uh, so it was Lion Sounds, drums, and the survey. And then we, at the opening and closing, we projected video loops of different actual lions um, on the spaces near where the cast faces of the lions were. So it was really a comparison of what our lions really, mm -hmm. what do people think they are, um, what do they mean architecturally and in the history. Why not some other big cats? <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You're into cats, I get it. Why lions? <laughs> I I wanted to have a cat event there, like bring your cat to, but uh, yes! nobody yeah. would. Kind of I'm in. I will go adopt a cat. I will spring cats from the shelter, put them on leashes. I'm in. <laughs> the, uh, you know, so it was a complicated project, and uh, it was a you know up for five months. Um, and we kept it operating and we kept working with the city and inviting the employees and inviting different organizations to come over and meet us. So every Wednesday noon we were there and talking with people and surveying all the second graders that were going through and we looking at lions expressions oh the, and they were the best kids answers. are the best art critics ever because they're really engaged they really have thought about this the, i mean in lions yeah. is up their alley yeah so they were ideal audience <laughs> i didn't know that before this project that to me uh, is an example of a project. Am I the artist? Am I the producer? Am I freeways? Am I myself? Like I really wanted the video projections, you know, as part of it. Um, I really got to hire some Danny Garcia from CalArts mm -hmm. to really do the editing job in a really great way. And we really talked with each other I got this a sound artist that made the sound installation and he got all to keep all the equipment out of the gig um yeah the and then the <clears throat> this uh Robert Hilton was the at uh, this musician that performed at the opening and the closing and he makes his own instruments he lives in altadena he got to perform there for hours you know uh two nights and it just um you know the there was a um Rashid Ali uh, is a really great drummer he ran the drum circles uh so and his wife Gail 
uh, help me with all the social media and the question asking and all that. So there were a lot of Pasadena artists got incorporated. It really addressed some of the history of the city of Pasadena and its public policies that put the 210 freeway right mm -hmm. through the African-American uh, neighborhood and, and you know that kind of issue you know surfaced mm -hmm. and um, no no conclusions but I, I got to really understand what was happening in that city so do you see so it seems like a lot of your projects are uh, pretty much self-initiated I would say that, and maybe that's why I'm saying take your own interests very seriously. Right. Like nobody was interested in the meaning of those lions. <laughs> <laughs> no. Be your own champion first. <laughs> like be your favorite fan so that you're out there and you're continuing to make it. And, and Well, that you, at the beginning you can't, you have that interest, but what could that interest become? To me, it was, you know, performances, sound installations, you know, 800 answers, you know, second graders, all these things that at the very beginning you cannot imagine, but you can accumulate. And um, there are systems out there, and I think even more systems available if you can, one, take yourself seriously, and two, learn the ropes of how to get how to produce it yeah i think that's a there's a big um aspect to that i mean if you're an artist who's doing a temporary public art project it's quite different than putting stuff in a gallery where you only have to worry about a couple of situations um and so it's interesting because um having watched you work it seems like um you take these really interesting ideas and you find an opportunity so, you know, you're not necessarily applying for something where you would have to fit in to something, but it's sort of like whether you apply for a grant or you go after, you know, someone sponsoring a project. It's your work and it starts from you and you just figure out how to make stuff happen, which is very different, I think, than the idea of sort of waiting for something, right? It's like yeah. you come up with an idea and you just go out and make it happen and you've always done that. So as an independent artist... I think you're a really great model because of the way mm. and and the things that you've pulled off have been pretty phenomenal. Maybe you can talk you. a little bit about, you know, operating in public or with public. I mean, operating and working with the city is completely different than working with, you know, a curator. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, it could be maybe like no similarities, <laughs> devastating or, you know, things go wrong as well as right or whatever. But. I'm interested in that self-initiated kind of aspect and how you might talk about, well, if you come up with an idea, how do you realize it? What are the things that you think about? Because huh. I would say I have a, a whole slew of projects that are always sort of uh, posted on my desktop mm -hmm. and that like I'm always like, how can I do that one? And when can I do that one and where? And mm -hmm. I've got to do that one before I die. And that these different opportunities come up that 
are through uh, open calls mm-hmm. or that the city, the county, uh, the NEA grant cycle is a once a year thing where you, as a nonprofit, that I can apply and do something that I really want to do. Um, that I, what I get to do is because I do public things, that they have, uh, in a way, some of the same agenda I have, which is to reach a broad public. So we agree that way. Uh, I think they disagree of what to do with that public and, right. you know, how to show them pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, this combination of nonprofit and artist is starting to work for me better than it did. That I would say before I ran it much more like a traditional nonprofit. Right. And that was because it was considered crass to put your own work in that you can't curate yourself in. And so uh, until recently, actually, to do that, that it, yeah, it was that you must be separate. You're either the curator or you're the artist. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel I still respect that difference. And at the same time, I think there are really important ways to bend that rule. So I, if I can be the artist and I can use other artists' work is really maybe more how I'm mm-hmm. currently thinking about it. So as a creative director, uh, but engaging other artists. So my current one called This Miss is uh, all 25 different videos by five different artists. And then I have 10 different visual artists' images that I've made postcards of. And then I wear an apron with the transparent pockets on it and go to events and the public can choose whichever image they want to have if they give me the answer to their to the question that's on the back of that postcard. So um, that is, you know, I'm definitely the generator of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really chose images that I thought were alternative of 10 different kinds, but I also, that it you could read that image fast the way you would a public art image. So you didn't have to know the history of that artist. Mm. It didn't have all these visual details that you needed to look at very closely to understand what's happening. Um, And then the, I'm going to start really playing with the answers to the question as a future project. Mm So, uh, but it, it got funded through the city, the county, uh, the NEA, Pasadena Art Alliance uh, is helping out as well. Um, that Mike Kelly <laughs> could, <laughs> could add to this. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, I that was another example, and it in a way they were quite different because of the on dismiss. I got 
I didn't have to fulfill the obligations of the specific public art project of working with the city hall. Right. But I, I in the, the advantage of having the city hall project was I did have a location that I could do a lot of different things with. So very different and also getting the public to deal with a complex topic uh, is the commonality. Mm -hmm. Um, So is there parts of, you asked a really broad question about generating versus, you know, waiting, which Mm -hmm. I... I haven't waited. I don't, I think right. no artist should wait. It's just, they don't, they never no. arrive. <laughs> right. And uh, I think it's, it takes a little bit of tenacity as an artist to be able to sort of push through and, and get to where you want. But I think you've done it in such a great way. Um, if artists, yeah. so if, if there's artists now that are interested in public art or doing temporary kind of projects, do you have advice for them? I, I do. I, I would sign up. The Metro has a list of artists. Mm-hmm. Get on their RFP and RFQ list. And then um, the s- cultural affairs or um, LA County. I forget which one. Or maybe the, by now they may be sharing their list. Mm-hmm. But you can get uh, sort of a, on the pre approved list. And that's just putting in your portfolio of your work. And it can be work that's not public art. You know, it's, you know, print-based or painting. It doesn't matter because, but you could say how you could imagine yourself. Mm -hmm. I do painting, but I would do ceramic work in public, for example. Um, The Metro's actually been really great about um, including artists that don't have a lot of public art experience. Mm. And that's actually been one of their mandates, which has been actually pretty exciting because it's very mm. hard to get into um, in general. You know, you can apply for things, but it's the idea that you can actually submit things and not necessarily have to be a public artist or have a huge track record is actually kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, and so just their to, budgets. And yeah. they have facilitators that really help the artists through the technical yeah, through the process. Yeah, so an RFQ means request for qualification. So you basically talk about, you know, uh, all the skills that you have and what kind of things that you see as public art and then you back it up with images. And then you're kind of in a pool. And once they accept that, then they actually send out requests for proposals, which is an RFP, in case anybody didn't know that, um, which gives you the opportunity to apply. So it's definitely worth with going a through that specific, process. you know, yeah, a sem- for a specific project, or and with a semi-specific, you know, idea. Like you can be uh, vague, and mm. that uh, it will get if they like your previous work that's non-public. They can really go for helping you through the process of changing something from one medium to another. Right. Because there's a lot of things in public art. I mean, you have to guarantee that something lasts for a certain period of time if it's not temporary or there's all kinds of safety issues in public and all of that stuff. So it's a, it's a different kind of ball of wax, but it's also incredibly interesting because of the number of people who see your work, you know, as opposed to a gallery. I mean, the number of people that saw your Lion Project in Pasadena is huge. 
thousands. You know, came the 5,000 the opening night and 5,000 the closing night. And Yeah, you just don't have that in yeah. any gallery. I don't care where you are. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's an interesting, um, interesting element about just thinking about audience, too. The other part to me about the public audience is I love their perceptions of it. Of how we have this terrible impression that <laughs> uh, artists, you know, that the public doesn't get it, etc. But if you design the piece for people that don't know the history of art, um, and you come up with something you like, generally they can approach it from some angle and the huge diversity of responses that you get mm -hmm. is amazing. I, I, I find it's really fun. I'm always out there asking shows. Half the time I pretend like I'm not the artist, <laughs> that I'm just like the old lady. You're just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that? Like, this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Don't you think this is good? <laughs> no, don't you think that's weird? You know, like uh, set it up for them to say something right. that they want to say mm -hmm. and uh, just uh, eavesdrop right. on the public. It's uh, very fun. I um, And it started from me actually projecting uh, uh, a micro projector and I would go do art night events actually at City Hall, and these huge crowds, and I would take the words scared and sacred and just have the A and the C switch mm -hmm. places and through animation. And then I'd go around with uh, my phone as the file carrier mm -hmm. and this Pico projector, and I would project on people's shirts and chests and on their back and uh, at their feet and just walking around. And <laughs> it was, is, that's what got me into Pasadena City Hall. It's a fun spot. So sometimes too. just doing it gets you really far. You know, testing, you, you know, know testing you things, you yeah. Out, does, what, how does the public respond mm -hmm. to having words projected on their chest? I think it's really important because I think the, there's a lot of um, a lot of people who don't really follow through on all the research. Like you'll do a proposal for mm. something and you've never actually tried it yourself. And I think that's a really smart thing to do because then when you're writing that proposal, you have a lot more mm. uh, stuff to say. You have some experience. You can talk about that as opposed to just saying, here's the pie in the sky idea. I mean, that's okay too, but I think it can really help an application to, to be able to yeah. have some experience if, you know, doing something in a public place if you've never done that before. And because people don't know how the public will respond, right. and often juries are so afraid of what yes. could happen, and sometimes those things, you know, never come up. And so mm -hmm. the more that you've tried it uh, before you go in front of the jury, the more you can say, no, they don't react that way. Absolutely. And kids adore it. And, mm -hmm. uh, um I uh, knew an artist who was applying for a public art project for the first time, and uh, she did something incredibly smart. She got uh, chosen as one of the finals, 
which was pretty great for her first try. But she knew that she wasn't really good at presenting in front of people. So she took three nights and she invited a whole different audience and she, she actually presented the work to us and had us give her feedback. Wow. Well, I went to the first night and she did so many things wrong. Like looking at the screen while you're talking, right? It's like, you know, looking at your own work on a screen behind you doesn't make that much sense while you're talking to an audience and things like that. Or we switch kind of the order. By the end of it, she was so confident that she actually got the project. Wow. And I think that the, that that idea of just not assuming that somehow, but, you know, have this is the, her very first uh, application. And so she really wanted to figure it out and do it right. And so mm. I thought that was so smart. And to me, that brings up that question of when you're writing a proposal or a grant of really uh, showing it to other people yes. before you send it in, uh, because you are assuming a whole lot of things yeah. that they are not, <laughs> they have no idea of. So it's great to test all kinds of things on regular people that absolutely uh, not fancy art people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. How do I break into Pasadena City Hall? <laughs> that is easy. It's open all the time. Yeah. It is 24 hours. There's no security. You can it's the walk lions, in. <laughs> you can walk in all the time. Wow. They have um, all these quinceanera uh, parties. Mm. Photographs happen there every Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. All these wedding uh, photography happening there on daily basis and fashion shoots. So people are using that place. And it is such a gendered space that mm. I have to go back and do dismiss there because mm-hmm. as a feminist, I was really having some problems with some of these events. <laughs> well, that's brings me up to another uh, kind of question is that um, besides being public, your work is very site-specific, usually. I mean, you really take into context where you do something. You know what? I feel like if I want to address a certain topic, that I if I locate it in this space. So I, I think via content, mm-hmm. um, so gender now or democracy or, you know, there's sort of issues. And then I think, well, where could I address that where the public could get so much access to what I'm doing by mm-hmm. the place? So it's different than choosing a place and saying, what's the content right. there? I inverse mm-hmm. the order. Right. It's the, the, the results are still, uh, I mean, the site still matters, but you approach the, it in a kind of different way, which I think is the really site uh, facilitates mm-hmm. the investigation. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Do you have to have an MFA to be a successful artist currently? I have taught at Claremont for 25 years. And uh, USC mm-hmm. for 25 years. Uh, 
before it went bad. Uh, now I switch from art to cinema. Um, so, and I went through the UCLA MFA program in the 80s with Chris Burden, Mike Kelly, Paul McCarthy, giving me noogies in the arm and fighting with them like really just pushing that feminist value into you yeah yeah i i I had brothers so i just felt like oh this is another bunch of brothers (laughs) 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 oh should we just go wrestle in the hallway (laughs) um the um and you know i i so benefited from their questions and their experience and their challenges really they didn't facilitate me they told me no collaboration no technology uh they hated public art they all do (laughs) that now if they're alive um they didn't at that time they didn't approve of my priorities but their challenges were really interesting right and then ucla offered me a bajillion things you know i learned grant writing through doing the student lecture series there for three years and uh, you know, all the departments that were all over campus were offering all kinds of things and all the political speakers and the, the incredible performances that were down the street that we got to go to for $2 a shot. And it, it just the people I met. And I moved to L.A. to go to UCLA. Mm-hmm. So I really learned the city through the university. And it just introduced me to people all over the whole region. And uh, it's a great way to move to a city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I was a, and I didn't pay, you know, very much money. That's the yeah. catastrophe of all of this is right. like how cheap. I had maybe a $500 bill at the end. Um <laughs> So I've okay, given. On. <laughs> Ooh, that's sinking in right now. <laughs> I had a five hundred dollar parking ticket. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So I so I feel like I recognize the privilege that I've had and try to really turn that around and give it back and give it to the whole city and the state is really UCLA is a state facility mm-hmm. and. I teach at Cal State LA and do things at Cypress College and East LA City College and You're a so, freeway flyer. Yeah. I I mean I do art things at those places. I don't teach at all of them. Um but it you know that is that idea that you put out benefits to people and then that person grows up and they can benefit the whole society that you're all living in. So that's a communal idea. It's an, not a Republican agenda idea about what education should be these days. So back to your question of MFA or not, it, to me it does seem way too expensive to uh, make it valuable. I, I hear of all these artists getting together and sort of self-teaching and that to me makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I, it, it is part of that idea of believing in yourself and really getting serious about what you want to do. I have to say, having had thousands of students over the years, that a lot of people have not been trained to believe in themselves. Yes. And all the kids that are flying here from elsewhere, coming from very anti-art environments, I feel like their soul, their being is very weakened by where they've grown up. And the lack of art opportunities in their whole upbringing and educational systems, there wasn't even one teacher to really barely reinforce what they were interested in. And then the there's the publicity machine for art is I think right. is very weakened right now. And you can barely, you know, know what's going on. You can see online what's happening, but maybe the leap from online to real is I think a, still a pretty big bridge. Uh chasm let's say mm -hmm. and you can learn there but what are you looking for and if your mind has really been reduced by your environment that this MFA program really is like to me it's an incredible barrage of new ideas and theory and other artists and why are you doing and the questions and the so I love the process mm -hmm. of having MFA students and really I work with them to not tell them so much as to ask them. I'm a, one of those kind of teachers. Like why? Yeah, of really <laughs> understanding where they're trying to go and why, why go there and wh what is the value of of fishing in yeah. that new water or in that murky water. It's mm -hmm. let's say it's murky to start with, and uh, but we know there's a lot under the surface, and maybe that could be another thing I really want to push. That I feel like art it deals with the under the surface the unconscious, the invisible, and that for each of us, that is something different. We don't know what we don't know. And art can pull that up to the surface and it just in a way that is possible for a variety of people to approach it and why work in the visual to me, the visual is the intersection between the unknown and the articulable. And that why do we dream in images? Mm -hmm. uh, because that's how things rise to the surface of our conscious minds. And then we, sh through art, we can share them with other people that have a different subconscious and a different level of consciousness. Like they may have done a lot of shrinking work and be very self-aware or maybe completely oblivious to what they right. are about and age. You know, 
how old are mm-hmm. they? So how aware are they? And that you can't force that process. People will resist and ignore and defend uh, all those things. But if you can offer it in a way that they might approach it if from some angle, whether it's in the gallery or in the street, um, that amazing differences you know, um, can happen and insights can happen to people, which to me connects with the fact that empathy is the thing that they're discovering that art mm-hmm. is so good at generating. And they have statistical information. Art generates empathy. Right. <laughs> so that means tolerating a different point of view than mm-hmm. your own. And we all come from these micro minds. <laughs> you know, we have visors. Every one of us has. You've talked about the art visors. But we all have visors. We see from our perspective. And I think that a lot of our racial and class and gender problems come from this visor, right? Mm-hmm. And what addresses that visor, you know, to me, one of them is art. Maybe the other is counter information, <laughs> which is back to media. And yeah. that media, we all choose our own streams of media according to our, our own preconceived ideas. And right. so we're not getting exposed to a lot of new information through this filtered, you know, news system. Through the feedback loop that we've created ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about taste kind of it's this very odd scenario where you choose what you want to hear in a way that never has been the case before thank you again to our guest Anne Bray you can find her work at annebrayart.com and to Side Street Projects which can be found at sidestreet.org Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions is the lace we refer to so lovingly in this episode, and they can be found at welcometolace.org. All of this and more is available on our website, artworldpodcast.com. That's it for this episode, amigos. Until next time, be nice to the interns and go make good art.